in January 2002, three friends of mine and I went on a road trip together. It was great. We, we set out after church on a Sunday night and we headed down to Canberra and we slept on someone's floor in Canberra that night and then the next day did some sightseeing around Canberra and then meandered our way to Melbourne on a bit of a, uh, a out with a few detours on the way. We spent two nights in Melbourne during in between which we went and spent the day at the Australian Open and then after the second night in Melbourne we did the Great Ocean Road. Anyone done the Great Ocean Road? Yep. So bottom, bottom of, of Victoria and into South Australia and then back into New South Wales through central, sorry, into Victoria, through central Victoria and towns like Ballarat. Don't worry if you're not following this at all. The idea is meant to be that it was, the map looked like a child had scribbled on it. That's where we went. Back into Melbourne, then back up into New South Wales, into western, New, into central New South Wales. Uh, in Cowra, we picked up another friend and then came home through Lithgow, the Blue Mountains, and back home again by the following Saturday afternoon. So all up, we travelled, I think it was about 4,000 kilometres in six days, only, only five days of which was actually driving, so there was a lot of driving. And I tell you, it was an absolute blast. We had so much fun. Um, when I see those friends, we still talk about it, and um, yeah, I can tell you more about it over, over um, supper tonight. But we had no particular agenda. We just enjoy, wanted to enjoy travelling around the countryside together, and that's what we did. So that was that road trip. But compare that to another road trip that Helena and I did in 2011 when she was in labour with our youngest child, Laura. It was up the Pennant Hills Road to Hornsby Hospital for, for Laura to be born. And I'll tell you, we weren't taking any detours for sightseeing on the way. We were just going straight there with no distractions. We had one objective in mind, get to the hospital as fast as you can. So two very different types of road trips. And I've mentioned that and, and talking about road trips because in today's passage, you might have noticed that Jesus is heading off on a road trip of his own. But for Jesus, his road trip is much more like the second one that I mentioned than the first. That is, he's making a beeline straight for Jerusalem. So up until now, if you've been following along, Jesus has been kind of wandering around the countryside up in the north of Israel in the region of Galilee. But now in verse 51, as I said, it marks a key turning point in Luke's gospel and he resolutely, we are told, sets out towards Jerusalem because the time is approaching for him to be taken up to heaven. That is, the end goal of his mission on earth is approaching his death, resurrection and ascension back to heaven. And so Jesus is now single-minded in his devotion to go to Jerusalem and complete his task, even to the point of going through Samaritan villages. Now, that might not sound like much of a big deal to, to us, but that's not what Jews would usually do when going from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, even though it was the fastest route. You know, if Jesus put um, Jerusalem in Google Maps from, from uh, Galilee, it would take him through Samaritan towns. But most Jews would go a different way. They'd go a long way around because the Jews and Samaritans were enemies, and so most Jews wanted to avoid the Samaritan towns. You know, we've got an avoid tolls in Google Maps. They would have had an avoid Samaritan towns option in Google Maps. But Jesus didn't take that option. 
He's making a beeline for Jerusalem and through Samaritan towns is the shortest way and his single-minded devotion to go there, it gives us just a glimpse of the seriousness of this mission that Jesus is on. But as you see in verse 52 and following, the Samaritans didn't receive him well. And two of his disciples, James and John, wanted to call down God's judgment from heaven on the Samaritan village, call down fire from heaven on them. But Jesus' interaction with James and John about that shows us something important. It shows us that now is not the time for God's judgment. Now is the time for salvation. Now you can, you can hardly fault James and John for their lack of zeal. They're certainly very zealous. They were indignant that Jesus would be treated like this by the Samaritans. You know, don't they know that this is God's Messiah? Surely, if anyone is deserving God's judgment, they must be thinking it's these guys, you know, clear enemies of God, hostile to Jesus. Let's call down fire from heaven on them. Because that's what the prophet Elijah had done 900 years earlier in a very similar situation. And in fact, to the ancestors of the Samaritans, the king of Samaria sent troops, sent soldiers to arrest Elijah. And Elijah called down fire from heaven on those troops. And so here are James and John filled with zeal for Jesus. Jesus is so much greater than Elijah. The Samaritan opposition is an even greater offence than the king of Samaria was all those years ago. Surely they deserve the same judgment, at least. But Jesus says no. He rebukes James and John. That is not the right response. That even the enemies of God's people, even though they were hostile to Jesus, even while he was on his way to Jerusalem to fulfil the mission of his life, even for them, judgment, righteous anger, is not the right response. Not because Jesus is anti-judgment in some way, not because of that misguided idea that you hear about sometimes that the God of the Old Testament is all about anger and judgment, but Jesus gives us a better way of love and forgiveness. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is very clear that to, to receive the judgment of God is a terrifying and terrible thing. In my Bible on the same page, in chapter 10, verse 13 to, to 15, Jesus makes it very clear that the time of God's judgment will come. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that when it does. But no, the reason that Jesus rebuked James and John for their misguided zeal was because now is not the time for God's judgment. Now is the time for salvation. In that very moment, Jesus was literally on his way to Jerusalem to take judgment on himself to provide salvation for us. And so now is the time for salvation, not judgment. And that is still the case. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. That is, for every person who rejects Jesus, even for those who are hostile towards him, or even for those who are hostile towards us because we stand for Jesus, now is not the time for judgment. And it is certainly not our place to be the agents of God's judgment on those who reject him. What is our responsibility 
is to tell them about the salvation that Jesus offers to every single person, even to his worst enemies. In fact, some of the last words that Jesus said to his apostles before he went back to heaven after he died and and risen back to life again, some of his last words was to send them out to preach this message of salvation. And the second place that he told them to go to after Jerusalem and and, and Judea was Samaria, the place of these people, the enemies of the Jews who had rejected Jesus, that God was offering salvation to them through Jesus, even to the Samaritans, even to the enemies of God's people. So I wonder, what does that say to us as we think about how do I react when people reject Jesus or are hostile to me and to Christians because of him? How do we react to that? You know, our culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards the message of Jesus. Even though it is good news, people are increasingly trying to paint it as not good. And some of that opposition is polite. You know, people smile condescendingly at us and say, well, that's nice for you. But sometimes it's more actively hostile. And when that happens, some of us, I know, want to hide in a hole and just disappear. And to us, Jesus calls us to be bold and stand for him, to not be ashamed. But some of us might be more like James and John were in this situation, ready to call down fire from heaven on those who oppose Jesus. To those of us, Jesus says the same thing that he said to James and John. Now is not the time for God's judgment. Now is the time for grace and salvation. That should be our thought when people reject or even are hostile towards Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to, to fight for his reputation or to defend his honour when someone speaks badly of him. He's a big boy, he can take care of himself. What Jesus wants is for us to honour him with our own lives and to make the most of the moment that we are in. This is the day of salvation. This is the time of God's grace. Because that day of God's judgment will come. Make no mistake about it. That fire from heaven will come. And on that day, we will be sheltered in the blood of Jesus. And so now is the time to convince as many people as possible friends and enemies alike, to join us in that salvation. That's what we should be known for, even amongst those who oppose Jesus. We represent the grace of God to them. So that's the seriousness of this trip, this road trip that Jesus is on to Jerusalem. That's why he's making a beeline. It's a matter of life and death a matter of heaven and hell, of judgment and salvation. That's what's at stake. And so wouldn't it be completely bizarre if we truly understood the seriousness of Jesus' mission, but then don't take very seriously for ourselves what that means for me to follow Jesus? If that's what's at stake, then surely following Jesus is a big deal. And that's what this next section is about as Jesus continues on the road, counting the cost of following Jesus. Jesus wants to make sure that his followers do understand the seriousness of following him. And you see that in this interaction with three people 
along the road. And I suspect that when, when you first read this, like me, when you first hear of Jesus' responses to these three people, it's kind of surprising. You know, surely Jesus w- would want to encourage anyone who's even considering following him. But it, it doesn't really look like that, does it? I mean, take this first guy in verse 57 and 58. He, he says he wants to follow Jesus. But it almost sounds like Jesus is discouraging him. He says, verse 58, Foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to hide his head, to, 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 lie, to lay his head. You know, Jesus is saying, I'm going to homelessness. Are you going to follow me there? Now, Jesus is not trying to discourage him, but he does want to be clear about what following him actually means. Jesus is not going to be that dodgy salesman who will do everything he can to get someone to sign on the dotted line. He wants followers who know what they're in for. Now, that's not to say that we don't grow in our understanding of what following Jesus involves over time. But I've known people who have kind of started following Jesus for the wrong reasons and then seen how that causes problems down the road. Uh, you know, one example, maybe they start following Jesus because they've discovered that it actually is a better way to, to live, which is true. And that kind of makes sense, that when you follow the instruction manual of the creator of the world, then, of course, living that way tends to work better. And people discover that. That's what people like Jordan Peterson are discovering at the moment, that, you know, that the way that God tells people to live actually works. He looks at the world, he looks at what, what the Bible says and he, he's making connections there. But if that's all we're following Jesus for, then we're going to run into problems down the road. Because living for Jesus in a world that does not will cost us. That's what Jesus is saying. It will cost us. Now, if, if our, our vision for life when we follow Jesus must be more than just the next 10 or 20 or 30 or however many years we have in this life. If our vision for life in following Jesus is just what I see ahead of me, that's going to cause problems. We will experience eternity one way or the other. And we choose that eternal future now. And so Jesus wants us to understand that when we follow him. And that means that even the most important things in life following Jesus takes priority even over that and we see that in the second two people the other two people that Jesus meets here I mean the first guy we're told in verse 59 and 60 his father has died burying your father is a big deal I still remember when my parents kind of rushed home from a trip overseas because my grandfather my mum's dad was was dying so they cut their trip short and came home early and he kind of held on so they were able to see him before they, he, he, they were able to see him when they got back. And, and most people would, would agree that that was a good decision to make, to cut their trip short so that they could see him. This guy's not just saying his farewells to his dying father, he's making the funeral arrangements, it seems, which in a time when there was no refrigeration had to happen fairly quickly. And particularly in a Jewish culture, this was a big deal. Burying a parent took precedence over pretty much any other aspect of life. You know, 
even celebrating the Passover, circumcision, studying the scriptures, temple service. Bearing a parent would take precedent over any of those things. And Jesus is saying that following him even goes ahead of that. Jesus meant it to be surprising and shocking. And not just for that guy. This is an anonymous person who we know nothing about. Jesus is talking to us. So what good and important things do you need to make sure that you put following Jesus ahead of? That's something for each one of us to consider. But the next guy gives us an example, and again, it's about family. This guy had been following Jesus. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So he's been following Jesus. Now he says, I want to go back and say goodbye to my family, which again sounds reasonable. But Jesus is talking about divided loyalties. This man's looking back to where he came from, not forward to where Jesus wants him to be going. And notice too that Jesus doesn't make a distinction between two different types of followers. That, you know, the, those who serve in the kingdom of God, who proclaim the kingdom of God, and normal followers of Jesus. For Jesus, everyone who follows him serves in his kingdom. Everyone who follows him proclaims his kingdom. Not two types of, of Christians. That all of us must have a single-minded priority of living for Jesus. And I wonder if I could illustrate that with two stories about families, two examples, uh, a negative one and a, a positive one. The first, the first story, towards the end of high school, a friend of mine and, and, and into kind of uni age, a friend of mine started coming along to church and after a while he said, I want to follow Jesus. Like these guys did, I want to follow Jesus. But his family were Zoroastrians. Now, I don't know if you know what a Zoroastrian is. It's an ancient Persian religion. And you don't need to know too much about that religion, but his family were, you know, it was, it was a family thing. And so, as you can imagine, it was complicated for him to make a break from that. There were some very practical things that that would have involved, but particularly it would have involved some significant relational problems with his family. And so it was completely understandable he was nervous and cautious about, about that and that he wanted to take time to work out what that would look like. But as time went on, every time that he needed to decide between what his family expected of him and following Jesus, he kept choosing the family thing. And so over time, following Jesus became a thing of the past, something that he used to think about. He turned back. Now we might not have family obligations to an ancient Persian religion that is competing with our allegiance to Jesus, but we will still have family and other important things in our life that want to pull us in different directions. I reckon the classic Aussie example of this is when our families keep putting family things on Sundays. Right? I know it happens to all, it happens to me. And, and, and so it puts pressure on, on our priority to be at church each week. 
or to invest more deeply in relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ by doing lunch or dinner together or just sticking around and, and making a, a, proper, a proper thing of it rather than having to rush off. Now, I'm not saying that going to one family birthday party is going to be the end of following Jesus for us. But do your friends and family know that following Jesus is your priority? That gathering with God's people is your priority? Even to the point where they know that you will say, sorry, I can't come, I've got church then. Now, that's just an example, but I'm sure you know it's quite a common one. And if Jesus said that about families, then surely he'll say the same sort of thing about our friendships and our hobbies and other things that might otherwise be quite important. Following Jesus takes priority even over the most important things. That's my first story. My second story is a more positive one and I'll finish with this one. This couple I know started coming to church in their kind of mid to late 20s. This is about 10 or 15 years ago. And they did Christianity Explained, and within about a month of each other, they both committed their lives to Jesus. And over the years since then, I've watched them make the hard decisions that made it clear to their families, our life has changed. This is our priority now. To the point where, yes, it ruffled some feathers and made things complicated. But over the years, their families are now very clear about what they are living for, about what's important to them. Now, they still do it in a way that makes their families know that they love them. They might not be able to be at every family party or they might have to arrive late or, or leave early, but they do it in a way or they do other things to make it sure, make their families know that they love them while they prioritise Jesus. And that has an impact. Their families know what matters to them. And they even get to kind of see their, their Christian life in, in practice as they kind of mingle with their Christian friends and their families at, at parties and sometimes their family comes along to church with them. And over the decade or so since these guys became Christians, a thousand little decisions have said following Jesus is the most important thing in our life. And that has grown and strengthened their faith and actually been a positive witness to their families. And given that we are talking about matters of eternity, heaven and hell, judgment and salvation, what better way to actually love our families than to make it absolutely clear to them what really matters so that they know that now is the day of salvation that now is the time to turn to Jesus and take hold of the salvation that he offers and so that they are standing with us, sheltered from the judgment of God in the blood of Jesus when that final day comes. That's what we should want for our families and our friends and even our enemies. Jesus wants followers, to, Jesus wants followers who follow him like it matters because it does. Do your friends and even enemies, know that because of how you follow Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus does say some strong uh, and confronting words here about following him. And we do ask that you will help us to take them to heart, to take seriously uh, the significance of following Jesus, 
and to really recognise the, the, the goodness and the gravity of the life now and in eternity of what following Jesus is all about. We pray that as a result of that, that the people around us will, will begin to know and understand exactly what it is that matters for eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.